journey. We are in week number three of our series on shepherding that we're calling Shepherd Montana. And I've got the privilege of getting to introduce our special guest today, Derry Long. Uh, for some of you, uh, he's been around here for a while. You know, he's been a longtime staff member of ours. A couple of years ago, retired and is doing a lot of other adventures right now. But one of the things he's doing right now is helping with an organization that is helping us think about how do we take our vision around shepherding and make it a reality? How do we actually do some of the structures and some of the strategies that will help make it possible for people to get into the kind of relational environments that we're talking about? Derry's doing a great job helping us with that. I got a chance to hear his sermon at nine o'clock, so I know you are in for a treat. Uh, let's do a great job of welcoming Derry Long. Derry. Good to see you. Well, hey, good morning. Great to see you all here and Welcome to those online. Good to be with Bob and Brian. And uh, we're going to spend a little time today looking at the theme of living life to the full. I've been thinking about uh, this COVID season and one of the ways we can give life away, it, it seems to me, is, uh, is learning to smile with our eyes. You know, I, uh, I wasn't that conscious of that before. But now, masked up, uh, sometimes people talk to me, and I, I can't figure out who they are. And uh, I like to think it's because they got a mask on. But uh, anyway, I thought, how, how do you communicate with your eyes that you are delighted to see someone, and you're valued, they're valued, and you're focusing on them? So uh, every season of life not only has its challenges, but its opportunities to be life givers. Jesus said in John chapter 10, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it to the full. That word full sometimes is also translated abundant. They might have abundant life. And uh, the phrase abundant or full has a couple of meanings, one of which is more than is necessary. The Jesus has come to give us a life that is so full that he's actually giving us more than is necessary that there's an extravagance about how he's relating to us and the reality he wants us to live in. The other phrase related to this uh, meaning is uh, giving without measuring. So I asked for a gallon. Yeah, that's about a gallon and a half. That's good. I want a pound. I end up with a pound and four ounces. So that the, the, the giving is not a stingy measurement that... You only get what you pay for or what you've earned. But actually, it's, it's in the heart of God to give us more than we've earned, more than we've paid for, that he's extravagant. And that it is that kind of life that Jesus says he's coming to give us, a life that is abounding, a life that is more than is necessary, a life that is not stingy, but given without measuring. And he invites us to this kind of life. But then we have to ask, what kind of life is that? Last year, Warren Buffett, not really known as a theologian, but certainly one of the wealthiest people in the world, was speaking at a university campus, and he said this, I have learned at this stage in my life that success is measured primarily by this, do the people I hope will love me actually love me? He went on to say, 
I've been at many large events where we were honoring somebody at a banquet. Or we were celebrating the opening up of a new wing of a hospital or a new building on a campus with a primary donor's name. But I knew those people. And I knew that their life was a disaster. Because however money they had, however much money they had so that they could actually pay for a wing of some great building. In fact, that the people that they hoped would love them did not love them. And that most of the reason they were not loved was their own doing. So this little phrase about living abundant life or life that's full has a couple of meanings. One is that life can be constricted like a sponge that I squeeze out all the water. I can squeeze out all the life. And having constricted that sponge, it cannot take in any water. And we can live our lives in a way that it can't take in life and all the life that was there is squeezed out. And really, we're only talking about three things. There's really only three things to life. There's character, life purpose, and relationships. Well, that's it. When the dust settles, it'll only be what we did in those three areas. Character, life purpose, and relationships. Along with the fact that life is elastic, is this truth. Life needs to be coherent. Coherent means there's a pattern to it and that the pieces in that pattern actually fit together. So my wife Marcy uh, likes doing jigsaw puzzles. And uh, this is the one she's working on right now. I don't know. Seems daunting to me. But as she works on it, she always has this box sitting up on the table. Because this box is the pattern. Now the fact is that our lives are, are in many ways, we yearn for our lives to look like this. But in fact, they often look like this. This is the same puzzle she's now working on and uh, partly done. Now you'll notice there is some coherence. Notice the boundaries are all there. All the borders are there. Things are looking pretty good in that uh, lower left-hand corner. Ah, some other parts of the uh, puzzle look pretty disheveled, disconnected. She's got a, she'll have a bowl where she'll, She'll start putting all the pieces of one color kind of in the bowl with the anticipation. So she's kind of got a method. Yeah, let's take that down. It's too discouraging. There. (laughs) But for many of us, we have a yearning for coherence, but we're not living our life according to any pattern. And because there's no box with the pattern on it, uh, the structure of our lives somewhere in the area of character, relationships, and life purpose can be pretty chaotic. Most people, even in a church setting, make their decisions of what they're going to work on in their life on the basis of one or two things. Either there's an immediate need. Boy, my marriage is not as strong as it needs to be. I better, I better get to work. Better go to a marriage seminar or something. 
I haven't spent my money very well. I, I need, some, need some training on finances. What's an immediate need or something that I'm interested in? Now, neither one are bad in themselves, but neither one are necessarily governed by any pattern that guides our personal development. Many of you know, you know Chris Townley and his wife, Kate, who uh, Chris was on staff here. They're planning a church now in Phoenix. Kate's been through medical school. And, uh, you know, when she started going to medical school, they had a, they had a pattern in mind. And I'm not really that interested in going to a doctor who just says, ah, you know, I, I don't know. I, I haven't really been that interested in gallbladders, so let's treat your condition like it's a foot problem. No, the training in medical school is, is according to a pattern that's broad and deep so that it, all kinds of situations can develop and we can go see a doctor and they will have an understanding of how this is connected to this, which is connected to this. Because there's a pattern to it. So one of the real reasons we struggle in our Christian life is that we don't make decisions off a pattern. We make decisions off immediate need or personal interest. Now, as Bob mentioned, the uh, Journey Church here is beginning to work with an organization that specializes in a simple pattern that helps us come to a place of living a full, abundant life. And so whatever else an abundant life means, it has at least these four features or snapshots. And we're going to look at those briefly and then how to apply them and then we'll be done. What does a life that is a full, a full or abundant look like? It'll have at least these four features. Number one, it'll be a life of celebration. The primary way in which that is uh, exhibited within a local church is morning worship, where we come together to celebrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us it is good news. We come in with the expectation of good news because of all that Jesus has done. The first miracle Jesus performed was at a celebration. It was a wedding reception where the catering issue became a problem. They ran out of wine. Jesus didn't accidentally perform his first miracle at a wedding reception and then think later, I, I should have maybe waited for a more dramatic moment. He, he actually made that decision. My first miracle is going to be at a wedding reception because he had something to communicate. That the kingdom was going to be a kingdom of celebration. And so one of the aspects of our life of living an abundant life is the ability to celebrate and know that God celebrates over us. Now, I've been in, uh, I've been in the church world all my life. I figure I've, I've preached or taught somewhere between 3,000 and 3,500 times. I've also listened to at least 1,000 to 1,500 sermons and teaching sessions. So I'm somewhere around 5,000 now, I don't mean by that I have nothing left to learn, but after 5,000, I've got a lot of things to work on. When you've heard that many presentations, whenever I come to worship, 
The Lord always has something fresh. But you know, my primary reason for coming to worship here at Journey Church is not learning one more thing. Though I believe Bob and Brian always give me something to ponder and chew on that's good for my soul, I primarily come to worship to be with my people. By my people, I mean this is my home. Starbucks wants their coffee shop to be your third place. For me, my third place is my church. When I came in this morning at about 7.15, Brandon was out in the foyer and we chatted for a bit. Brandon's good for my soul and Logan doesn't live very far. He's over here playing lead guitar this morning and chatted a little bit with Logan and talked about Thanksgiving and what they did as a family. I come to be with Bob and Brian before I come to hear from Bob and Brian. Because celebration is nothing if it is not relational. When Marcy and I were living in Iowa, we were planning a church in Sumner, Iowa. Now, Sumner's a little town of 1,500 or so. Do you know, back then, there was only one girls' division in high school basketball in the entire state of Iowa. 508 teams. And when they began the march towards the state tournament, which they called the Sweet 16 in Des Moines, Iowa, it was a tournament schedule of 500 teams working its way down to 16. One of the years we were in Sumner, a number of the girls on that girls' basketball team went to our church plant. And they had finished the regular season 3-11. and 11. They had to play a playoff game just to get into the district tournament. And by some miracle, they won their playoff game. And by an even bigger miracle, they eventually won the three games in the district tournament and won the district championship. And then, then they went into a regional and they won both of those games. They won nine tournament games in a row and made it to the Sweet 16. They got there with a record of 12 and 11, having won nine tournament games in a row. And their first game in Des Moines was against Hampton, which was 24 and 0. Now, the reason I tell you that is because that night of that game, Marcy and I were in Sumner and you could have gone out and shot a cannon down any street without fear of hitting anybody because nobody was in town. The town nearly in total packed up and went to Des Moines in order to watch that girls basketball team. Those people didn't go because they needed to see another basketball game. They went because who they were was down in Des Moines. They went with their community and their people to be there and to support their team. Basketball was only the reason to celebrate being the community they were. So you and I come, we come to worship the Lord. We come to learn something fresh from Bob or Brian or whoever. 
But we come because this is our third place. These are our people. And that brings us life and an opportunity to give life. There's a second feature, and that's relationships. Notice how these already are beginning to lock together just like the pieces of a jigsaw. If worship is a primary expression of celebration, small groups are a primary expression of relationship where I am known and I know. Uh, there's, a, there's a passage of scripture. I don't know. You, you might not think it's as great as I do, but I just, whenever I read it, it's astounding to me. Other than Jesus, we would often consider the greatest Christian in the Bible is the Apostle Paul. He wrote half of the New Testament. He's responsible to, for taking the gospel into the Gentile world. But in the last letter he writes, which is his letter to Timothy in 2 Timothy, listen, listen to this. Listen to this description of what his life looks like. Crescens has gone to Galatia. And Titus is over in Dalmatia. At the moment, only Luke is with me. But get Mark and bring him with you because he'll be helpful to me in the ministry. I send Tychicus. I sent him over to Ephesus. Oh, and greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus is staying in Corinth and I left Trophimus. Trophimus, sick in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus, by the way, greets you, as so do Pudens, Linus, and Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. Do you catch that? He was living in a sea of relationships. As great a leader as he was, he did not lead some John Wayne up on the mountaintop beckoning other people to come. He was going with a crowd. He was in relationship. So uh, I've, been reading a, I've been reading a book that's one of the most fascinating books, in fact, I just finished it this week, that I've ever read. It's called Precision Engineering. And it is a book on precision engineers and what's happened over, the, over the, the centuries. And I'm coming to the end of the book. I mean, listen, listen to this stuff. The star Alpha Centura A is 26 trillion miles away. But the distance between the earth and that star can be measured within the width of a human hair. Over a century ago, a guy named Einstein, working with his theory, said, you know, if my theories are right, then if some great event happens out in the cosmos, out at the edge, it would create a gravitational wave and when that wave hit the earth, it would actually, as it went through the earth, would slightly change the shape of the earth. Well, when he said it, there was no way of even measuring that. 
as our measurements got more and more precise, almost inhuman in their precision, scientists decided, let's see if that's true. So in 2002, they built, a, they built one mechanism in eastern Washington, and they built another in Louisiana. And between the two, they would measure if the shape of the earth changed. And in 2015, it registered a change, a temporary change in the shape of the earth as a gravitational wave went through the earth. And scientists say that they estimate that gravitational wave was a ripple in the space-time continuum from the collision of two black holes 1.3 billion miles away, light years away. And they managed to get those two measuring things up and caught it within 13 years. I just... Like it's jaw-dropping stuff to me. <laughs> I can see you're riveted. <laughs> but here's the fun part. While I'm reading this, I'm watching Beauty and the Beast on television. And it's at the end of the story. And there's been a, there's been a fight in the palace, and the beast is on the floor. It appears he appears dead. And the last petal of the rose has fallen. And Belle, weeping, is kneeling by the beast and leans down and kisses him. And suddenly and miraculously, that human kiss of affection brings him to life. Not only to life, but the beast is turned into a prince. And over here I got this 26 trillion miles away measurement, the width of a hair. And over here, I've got Belle and her love restoring life to the beast. And I'm, I'm with Belle and the beast because you and I were made for relationships. That gives us life. In celebration and relationship, both in worship and in small group, fill our life up. And then there are two features where we pour our life out. Serving and sharing. Because life becomes stale if it's not shared. None of us revere a rich, selfish person. One of the ways we measure greatness is sacrifice. It always has been. And it's not simply the person who succeeds on one level while stomping over everybody on this level. We always equate greatness with serving and sharing and sacrifice. So we have celebration and we have relationship and then we have serving. We, uh, serving is always connected with love. We, uh, we told our kids early on that we were committed to two things. One was helping them get a good education and the second was getting them into their first home. 
We felt that if they could do those, we could do those two things, then they had a foundation if they made wise decisions after that. And so they all went to college. Nolan and Natalie went to George Fox University and Nathan to Crown College. And we proudly told them three years ago that we had finished paying off our student loans. We were happy to do that. Because serving their success mattered to us. Serving is not something we do because, well, we ought to do it to be a good person. Serving is an expression of joy. Alan Jackson is one of the most famous country singers, 35 number one hits. But he was very shy. And so one day he went to his sister and said he'd like to go to Nashville and try, try to get ahead in the music industry and wondered if he could borrow some money. And she said, well, can you sing? And what she meant by that is nobody had ever heard him sing. He didn't sing in school. He did actually get a little job, a little local band in the little town he grew up in. Had a little local band, was looking, looking for a lead singer, and they heard him at something, and so they asked if he had sing at the little band. And that's all he ever did. He, he, did, he just sang at this little band, with his little band in, around this little town. And his relatives didn't even know he could sing. But his sister said, well, okay, we might be able to borrow the money. And so his sister went out to the bank and they borrowed $10,000, which they would pay back on little monthly payments so that Alan Jackson could go to Nashville just to see if anything would work out there. His sister said he paid the money back. But don't you feel it? Isn't it a great thing to be championed? Isn't it a great thing to be championed? I believe in you. I love you. I would do it even if I knew ahead of time you were going to fail because I want you to know that you tried. Serving. In a local setting is expressed through volunteering. Finding a niche that fits who I am and pouring my life into, into children or young people. Greeting in a service. And then there's sharing, which is expressed through giving. Giving our time. I was reading about millennials recently. So they would rather, they'd rather give money than time because to them the highest value is time. So depending on your generation, giving your time or your talents or your treasure to some noble thing. Marcy and I give. 
keeps our own soul tilled up. We, uh, we give to Journey because this is home. We would give to our home just like we would give to, uh, give to our children and help them with their education or house. Then on the side, we give, uh, we give some things to things that we have an affinity for. Marcy comes from a family that has always valued, uh, valued uh, medical work. Two in her family were EMTs, including her. One is a, is a nurse in an emergency ward. So we give some money to doctors without borders. I've always valued education, so we support a little Bible college in Manila in the Philippines. You know what you care about. Consider that the things you care about are actually things that the Lord put there in your heart. So we give to our home, which is journey. We give to some things we have an affinity for. And then over here, we have a little bit of money just in case we bump into somebody and the Lord says, I want you to do something for them. But we want to be, ahead, we want to be ready for that ahead of time. But we don't do it because the Bible says you need to give. We do it because we feel that's part of an abundant life. And it's not how much you give, it's the frequency. Do you regularly just pour out? As you, as you let the Lord fill your life, do you serve and give? Pouring out to others. Well, those are four things. Journey, Journey wants to help everybody in these four areas of celebration and relationship, and serving and sharing, both taking in and pouring out. Now you'll notice those four things look very simple. There's not one of them you've never heard before. And yet many people's lives look like the second picture in the jigsaw puzzle. Pieces just laying all over. Now why is that? What is the missing element? And the missing element is in our independence, we try to do it without being shepherded. In the world of sport, the higher up you go, the greater your aspirations, the more coaches you have. We come time to treat church like it's a buffet, and we just kind of pick and choose, and with no pattern and no other voices in our life championing us helping us, working in our training so we can excel at these areas of life. We don't give anybody privileged voice. If I'm, a, if I'm playing in a high school basketball team, the coach has privileged voice. But who has privileged voice in my personal life as I develop these four traits in my life? There are people that I, I have internally given privileged voice to in my life. And when they speak, privileged voice means that they are magnified in my hearing. Bill Vermillion, who I travel with when we teach internationally in India and Bangladesh and elsewhere, he has privileged voice. When he speaks, it is magnified in my hearing and I seek out his voice. 
Everybody should have about a half dozen people outside of their immediate family who have privileged voice in their life, who are shepherds to them, who help us develop in these four areas so that we can live out what Jesus said. I am come that they may have life and they may have it to the full. I think that's what the Lord has for us today. Why don't we bow our heads for prayer as we finish? Lord, we are grateful that you never leave us alone. You are the lover of our souls. You care about our lives. That they not just exist, but they are abundant, overflowing. That they're lives of extravagance for you and for others and for ourselves. I pray that you will take what you've lifted up and magnified in our hearing today and you'll pinpoint an area that each of us want to receive and you'll build that up and give us practical steps to move forward. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.